the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever done something in life without fully understanding it? I mean, people will say somewhat jokingly that we do it all the time, right? We flip on the lights, and how many people can explain exactly how lights work, or how cars work, or how computers work? Especially when we're kids, right? Now, sometimes we learn later on that some of that stuff we kind of roll our eyes at, at as kids has a good reason, right? Don't put your hands on the stove. Don't stick a fork in the electrical socket. Those all have good reasons, right? And sometimes we learn that those things we were told happened out of necessity or happened out of some kind of tradition that doesn't always make sense. Now, one of my favorite stories about that is something I heard a few Thanksgivings ago. The story goes like this. A newly married woman was preparing her first Thanksgiving away from her family, and she does what her mother had always done. She pulls the drumsticks off the side of the turkey and squares it up and puts it all in the bag and then starts to cook it. And her husband's watching her this whole time with this kind of befuddled look like, why are you doing that? And she finally goes, well, that's the way my mother always made it. And he goes, but why? She says, I don't know, I never asked. So she picks up the phone, calls her mother. Her mother stops and thinks about it and said, your grandmother always did it that way. I don't know why, but I always made it that way because she made it that way. So the woman said she called her grandmother. And her grandmother, when she, when she asked the question, says, well, that's simple. When your mom was a girl, we lived in an apartment. And we had one of those little apartment ovens. And the only way to get the turkey in there was to pull the drumsticks off and then square it up. Otherwise, it would be too big. It wouldn't fit in there right. Hold on to that thought for a minute. Then Paul stood in front of the... Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. Now, when we last saw Paul last week, he was still a young man named Saul. Remember, he was holding the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. Now, right after that, Saul goes to the priests and the leaders and gets permission to go around and start arresting Christians there in Jerusalem. And that has the effect of driving the church out of Jerusalem. Most of the church left Jerusalem and they went back to where they were from in the first place. And when that wasn't enough for young Saul, he got permission to go to Damascus and go to the synagogues there and arrest any Christians who he found worshiping in the Damascus synagogues. But while he was on the road to Damascus, what happened? He sees a light from heaven. He, he falls down to the ground and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asks who he's talking to. And the voice says, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And Saul can't see. The light had blinded him. And Jesus tells him who to go and who to see and what to do. And they talk some more. And Saul ends up doing what he's told. And he's healed. And after a few years of prayer and learning and following, Saul goes on a missionary trip with Barnabas, and then he keeps going. He changes his name to Paul, and eventually, over the years, he's called to go to Macedonia and Greece to preach the gospel. And after getting chased out of Thessalonica, he goes to Berea and preaches for a while, and then he gets chased out of there by the angry Thessalonians. They, went, they heard he was there, and they ran down and found him and tried to cause a riot. So his, his, all of his friends say, Paul, go, we'll stay here for a little bit and work with the church. 
So he stops in Athens to wait for his friends. And what he's supposed to be doing is laying low, not to be found by the angry Thessalonians again. But it says that after a few days, he can't stop himself from preaching. And when he's preaching, some philosophers hear him. So they bring him to the public place so they can hear him preach and expound a little bit more fully. And that's when Paul says, For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What you therefore worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. Now Athens is the home and the center of philosophy in the Western world at the time. Philosophers and teachers and schools all over the place. And it was reputed to have an altar to every single god that anyone had ever heard of at that point. Plus, apparently, a bonus altar for the one they didn't know yet, just in case. They didn't want to anger him and not be able to, to make sacrifices. And Paul says, listen, let me introduce you to that god. And he starts talking about God, and he says, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, although he is indeed near and not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as your own poet said. For we too are his offspring. As Paul starts preaching, he says, listen, the God that you don't know, he's findable. He's not hiding inside of a carving. He's everywhere. and He's not far from any one of us. Then he does something we haven't seen him or Peter or anyone else do when they're preaching. He quotes from philosophers. Right? Usually when we hear presentations of the gospel, when we hear them preaching, they start with Moses or Abraham and preach forward because they're preaching to the Jewish people. Here Paul's like, nope, you don't, you don't know Abraham or Moses, and we don't have the time to explain it today. So let's start where you're at. And he talks about some philosophers. He changed his frame of reference depending on who he's preaching to. And then he says... Because he's fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to by raising him from the dead. And that's where he loses the crowd. It says the crowd, when they heard about the resurrection, started wondering and asking themselves, Is this man crazy? Who comes back from the dead? Today, many of us have grown up hearing the resurrection story. It no longer impacts us the way it would someone who's heard it for the first time. Most of them thought he was nuts. But there were some who heard the gospel for the first time and asked to hear more. Bless our God, you people. Make the voice of his praise to be heard, who holds our souls in life and will not allow our feet to slip. Now this morning, or this evening, we read a psalm of thanksgiving, one where we praise God for what he's done for us. But notice something here. This psalm starts with the community thanking God for what he's done. It's us, it's we, it's our. There are times when God does something for us as a nation, as a church, as a community. And it's right for all of us to join together in thanking him. And it gives us the opportunity to tell stories of what he's done for us too. Because the psalmist says, Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I'll tell you of what he's done for me. And then the psalmist says, Listen, God has taken care of me all of this time. And I don't want to forget about it. He talks about how God heard his cry, just like he did for the whole group. That God loves his people and loves us each individually, even when that seems very hard to understand. Blessed be God, who has not rejected my prayer, nor withheld his love from me, he writes. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
And I'll ask the Father when he'll give you an advocate to be with you forever. Now our gospel picks up at right where we ended last week. We're still on Monday, Thursday. The first communion, the first foot washing, all of that's taken place. And Jesus has just started by telling his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And the disciples were wrestling with who Jesus was and what was about to happen. And Jesus now tells them, listen, if you love me, do what I've taught you. But don't worry, just because I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit will be here to be with you as long as you're on the earth. Jesus, at the end of his earthly ministry, is still focused on love. And he says, in a little while the world will no longer see me, that you'll see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you'll know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That you have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I'll love them and reveal myself to them. And Jesus, knowing what's about to happen, knowing he's about to become the Lord of the living and the dead, and even when he's gone, he's still with us. He said, I'll show myself to you. And because of the resurrection, he's told them they'll have eternal life. And if we love Jesus, we'll be loved by the Father. What more precious promise can we have than that? Peter, however, starts with a rhetorical question, right? Now, who will harm you if you're eager to do what is good? Now, we, we treat it as rhetorical because the answer should be no one. If you're doing what's right, people should respect that and leave you alone. But we live in a broken world. And we know sometimes in this broken world, people hate without reason. Paul received mockery in Athens for proclaiming that someone died and rose from the dead. But our response to being mocked, to being told we're wrong, is what Peter's talking about. He says this, Do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if suffering is God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. Our job is to be ready to talk with people, to talk with them without belligerence and threats. Peter says that we do it with gentleness and reverence. We want our behavior to be a testimony of Christ and his work in our lives. Peter writes, For Christ also suffered for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Christ's suffering has a point, Peter says, to bring us into God's family. And his death and resurrection made him, as I've said before, the Lord of the living and the dead. And that's why we model his love. Remember that he's being, as he's being arrested, Jesus told Peter to do what? Put up your sword. This is about a violent rebellion. If it was God's plan, I could have called down 12 legions of angels. But it wasn't God's plan, and he didn't. It's not our job either. Peter writes, And baptism, which prefigured this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's made gone into heaven and it sits at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. When we're baptized, it's not about cleaning ourselves up on the outside, but to show that the Spirit has done work and is doing work inside of us. The water that saved Noah, other places talks about the water God's people walked through to escape Pharaoh and his army. This is prefiguring what Christ would do to us. That same Jesus who ascended into heaven first went to the depths and preached, then ascended to God's right hand with all the spiritual authority gives it, given to him. He calls everyone to be baptized. 
which is one of those things we do without fully understanding. Often we're young and no one's explaining it to us. And we're, other people are making promises on our behalf. But know this, that thanks to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are changed. We're called to follow his commandments because we love him. And in following his commandments, we're called to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. And sometimes loving our neighbor as ourself can be difficult. In Bible study the last few weeks, we've been reading Romans, reading where Paul tells the church, for those that disagree with you, love them. Do things on their account. Don't argue with them. Sometimes our love has to overcome that which we want to do and our anger in our life in this broken world. Amen.